Hello, listener, and welcome to episode five of The Burning Issue, where I'm exploring the way we treat waste that can't be recycled. I'm looking at whether it is still better to process it through energy recovery and away from landfill and how the energy from waste sector is developing. So far, we've heard from a major EFW operator in Suez, Andusia, a company moving waste mainly overseas, Tidy Planet, who build smaller scale plants, and UK Wind, who don't want any more incinerators built at all. But for this episode, we're looking at a medium-sized DFW developer and operator, MVV Environment. It is different from the other companies in the UK as it has the vast backing of its German-based parent company, MVV Energia, and currently has three new EFW projects at various stages in the UK. These include what would be its largest EFW plant so far, planned for Cambridgeshire, close to the Norfolk border, in an area where many other developers have previously failed. On this episode, I'm speaking to Paul Carey, Managing Director of MVV Environment. Hello, Paul. Thank you for talking to me. Hello. I understand you're a former radio presenter, so this should be pretty easy for you. I did once have a two-year stint on a local community station. It was at the midnight hour presenter of a folk music programme, but I'm not sure we ever had any listeners at that point, so I never made it to Radio 1, that's for sure. This should be straightforward for you then. As this podcast is about the people as well as the energy recovery sector, I'd like to talk a bit about you first, Paul, and then we'll hear your views on the industry and where it's going. But perhaps first you could tell us about your work with the Owens Law Campaign, which you and your family started after the quite easily preventable death of your son in 2017. Yes, we lost Owen back in 2017. He was just 18 through an anaphylactic reaction, which was due to eating something in a restaurant that wasn't properly labelled. To cut a long story short, our campaign, which we really got going last year after all the COVID stuff and Brexit stuff was over, we launched it. And our campaign is to change the law that would then require restaurants or food business operators to actually put the allergens that are in their dishes on the menu so that people who are ordering their food who have an allergy problem can read what's there and not have to ask and not rely on some young waiter who might, as was in Owen's case, be quite confused and say, oh yeah, you can eat that, mate, that's fine. The food he ate contained dairy. He was allergic to dairy big time. Three hours after eating this chicken, he was dead on the floor outside the London Eye back in 2017. I'm sorry, Paul. So yes, now campaign is the Owens Law campaign. You can find us on www.owens-law.co.uk. Have a look and subscribe to our newsletters. And we're still, we are talking to the Food Standards Agency and trying anyone that will listen, the government, etc. And slowly making progress, raising awareness of the issue. And hopefully one day we'll get the law changed. You may have heard of Natasha's Law, but that only applies to what are called pre-packed foods. If you buy sandwiches from a shop and it's they're packed, they have to label their allergens now. And we really want Owen's law to be the same as Natasha's law, but for restaurants. It's dead simple. The rest of what we've got to talk about sort of pales into insignificance after that. Well, it's a personal thing. It takes up some of my time when I'm not yeah. spending MVV's money. Talking about spending MVV's money, you've got operational EFW plants in Plymouth and Dundee. You're at the Dundee one today, and you've got another facility planned in Cambridgeshire. Do you plan any further EFW expansion? Yes, we've got Plymouth, we've got Dundee, and we're planning a big one in Wisbeach, which means I'm presently Mr. Unpopular up there. And we've got another development, which is also in the public domain in the Bournemouth area, 
And we've got another one, which I can't tell you about right now, which we're working on. These are all part of what we see as chance to fill that final gap. The gap is closing between what we send to landfill and what we incinerate. And there is a gap in the market still, and we're working on that, and that's our plan. So we're very busy doing a lot of development work, which is why I say I'm busy spending MVV's money, because it takes a lot of money as well as a lot of man hours to get these things over the line if you're ever that lucky. When you say we're coming to the end, most people are saying we're near peak EFW capacity. You can't see any more than those three for MVV, certainly. We're not as big as some of the companies that operate in this space. Three would be fine for us. It would fulfill our longer-term plans that we set out when we set the company up in 2008. We had a particular vision of what we could do. These three facilities would adequately cover those longer-term ambitions and it would make, within the MVV world, make the UK business unit pretty much the biggest part of the energy from waste portfolio that we have. A very good one, I have to say, because I've been developing them from the beginning. <laughs> Slightly biased <laughs> yes. in that respect, I guess. Talking about your Medworth plant, it's due to be decided by the government. But are you concerned about the high turnaround in ministers and general Westminster turmoil at the moment? Well, it's been amusing, hasn't it, recently? It's, uh, I can't keep my eyes off the BBC News app to see who's resigned, you know. Of course, it's of interest to us, and who the minister is will be important. It's the, the Minister for Bays, B-E-I-S, currently Grant Shapps. We have to get through the first milestone, is to get the inspector's report to recommend awarding us. We're only just at the very beginning of that examination process. So there's a lot of work to be done. It'll be another nine months or so before we get to that luxurious position. And we may be disappointed. You know, it can happen that way. The inspector may say, you're not going to get it. That plant is developed, well, hopefully being developed near Norfolk, where the government infamously refused to rule on an EFW plant in Kings Lynn, even after the inspector had set forward his report, and close to where Amy failed with its EFW plant. Why do you think you'll do better? Well, we still think that particular region needs an energy from waste solution. You've currently got the situation where Norfolk County Council are sending their waste past Wisbeach down to Bedfordshire. That's not on a long-term contract, so that's a, an opportunity perhaps for us. You've still got the situation where Essex have not got a proper solution of their own. Cambridgeshire are doing what they've been doing for a long time, which I would characterise as a waste of energy solution. Suffolk have clearly got their own plant at Blakenham, and that's at full capacity. So there is definitely a need for something like we're offering. The site that we've chosen is very well positioned for supplying steam to a number of food companies in the Wisbeach area. It would be a very good CHP solution. There's also a good opportunity there for private wire supplies. It's a bit of a challenge on the road system, that has to be admitted, but so far the studies say it's not impossible, so we can take care of all of that. And there is the future potential for a rail connection which comes right past our site so we could even in the future have a rail siding there as well so for all those reasons we've put this proposal forward which is a big one it's a two-line plant it takes us well over the 50 megawatt limit which puts us into the realms of a development consent order and that's why we're going through this process that we are and we are, I would say, cautiously optimistic that we've got a very good case. Now, at the end of the day, it'll be for the planning inspectorate to tell us whether they agree. And then we run the risk, as we just referred to, of then it's a decision to be made by the prevailing Secretary of State, 
who will decide yay or nay, and they can overturn some very good recommendations. They can also overturn refusals, actually, so they don't have to accept a refusal. That will be for someone else to discuss in about nine months, 12 months' time. So it's a good site. You mentioned the heat element there, and I think heat's very interesting. Obviously, I think Dundee and Medworth both hopefully heat supplying, but there's been some talk of the rising power prices and developers not being so keen to divert power away to heat. Do you think this could be a problem going forward? It shouldn't do longer term because at the end of the day, what's driving the power prices is high gas prices. So if you want to heat something and you're going to use gas, then it's still going to cost you. So the opportunity cost of supplying heat isn't necessarily a low barrier. You know, you can easily supply heat at decent prices, still offering the customer a saving because otherwise they wouldn't want to take your heat. It's clearly more sustainable using energy from waste heat than it is fossil fuel heat. And don't forget, this is base load heat. This is heat that can be relied upon. And that is a very sustainable solution. Clearly, the economics of these things have to be discussed and negotiated with each individual off-taker. And a lot is not just around the bare price of heat, it's around availability guarantees and so forth. And the actual demand depends on that. So if you're talking about a little trickle, it might not be worth getting out of bed for. It might be a Naomi Campbell type problem. (laughs) Um, But if it's a really large heat demand, such as a food factory that makes dog food for the half of the country, they use a lot of heat that's a very sustainable and attractive opportunity for both sides. It has to work for both sides, of course. Talking about high power prices, do you think this is something we're going to see for the long term now? Or are we at a peak and trough? I think they will come down. A lot depends at the moment. The current political turmoil, what's going on in Ukraine, is clearly a big driver of the high prices. But in due course, we will start running out of gas. I mean, people say they keep finding more of it. But if we're to do anything about global warming, I wish the UK government would open the doors to more onshore wind because that is such low-hanging fruit. I live in Cornwall on the edge of the hill that I can see in the horizon. There's a turbine and I like watching it spin around. I have no problems if someone wanted to build a few more. I don't think we exploit half as much as we could do here. But I suppose we should be talking about energy recovery and developing technology. Carbon capture is coming in increasingly, but at a cost. I've not heard so much about MVV and projects you're doing on that front, but it must be something you're looking at. So depending on which site we're looking at, sometimes we're a bit space constrained. So Plymouth is very difficult. We're surrounded by Ministry of Defence, housing and the like, and that might prove more of a challenge. Here in Dundee, where I'm sitting now, There are opportunities to create space and do carbon capture there. In Kent, in Ridham, it's definitely space. And we've got some neighbours that are also producing a lot of carbon. So we're naturally talking to them about how we might cooperate. And all of our future plants, we're reserving space for future carbon capture systems. We haven't decided what systems we'll use. We're exploring various opportunities. In Germany, we're going to go ahead with a small pilot plant using one of the less proven technologies. We're going to do something with hot potassium. That'll be interesting. And depending on how that goes and what else happens in this space and what government support is available, I can see us taking 
moves towards certainly something as our ridden facility, I think, where there's a chance of achieving some economies of scale, perhaps with our neighbours. You talk about your neighbours. Is that Corey up the road? They're developing CCS. They're a distant neighbour. No, we've got next door to us, we've got the Kemsley Energy from Waste Plant within Finium, and they supply steam to a big paper mill run by Deer Smith, who have a separate combined cycle gas turbine uh, CHP facility, which produces carbon. So there's three big emitters there. I'm not giving anything away here. It's obvious from the geography that we're very close to each other. We'll talk to anyone that will listen to us. You've mentioned your Kent facility a few times now. It's a biomass-fired waste wood plant. Do you see a market for any more biomass in the UK now? No. Up north, there's far too many already. And a lot of the waste wood that's in the country in the south is moving up that way. We're in the right part of the country for us. Obviously, there's the Tilbury facility not so far away. So for waste wood, we think the market is well covered. And we've seen this in Germany where... If you have too many facilities in one place, which is, might be the case for the frozen north, then you'd have price wars. And we don't really want to start encouraging that. We think there's enough and we have no plans for any more biomass facilities. And the market is in a nice stable position as it is. That market's moved more to buying and selling the facilities themselves rather than anyone developing anything new. No, you're right. The market is stable in that respect. And the mergers and acquisition scene is, to some extent, active. We saw Tilbury change hands not so long ago. Some of the other facilities up north have changed hands, and maybe they are you know, good financial prospects. As long as they've got the wood and the plants functioning, all right, they should be making good profits. Maybe we can talk more a bit about environmental permitting. Do you think the Environment Agency, SEPA and NRW, are doing a good job currently? Well, I guess the individuals are all trying very hard. I don't ever doubt that each employee is doing their level best. It has to be said that they're very slow as an organisation to deal with anything. That's down to their organisation and their overall funding. And at the end of the day, they're a big cost centre for the government, paid out of government taxes. It's not something you can really cut back on too much. If you carry on cutting back, you'll end up with problems. And I hope that the government finds the money to keep them in paying rations, because at the end of the day, it's a bunch of individuals that need to be incentivized to go to work and do their job. And if you lose that incentivization, you will have problems. So for the benefit of the country as a whole, the government needs to spend more. But there are times when we do grimace and... Say a few things we perhaps shouldn't say on a podcast. <laughs> That's all right. You've seen, obviously, Natural Resources Wales have said they've got to increase costs for permits. As an industry, do you think you'd be happy to pay more for better regulation, better compliance? Well, I guess if we could see that that comes through as a benefit in terms of the more man hours on, on the ground, etc., it's, it's a cost. It has to be paid for somehow. Either you pay it through general taxation or you pay it through direct charges, as long as we're making sure that the money is not being siphoned off to some other project, that would be fine, I think. And, and all organisations need to perform efficiently, but you can't keep whittling away at a stick and not expect it to break at some time. Very good analogy. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could talk a bit about policy. As you're in Scotland today, and moratoriums are a big talk in Wales and Scotland, both countries have them, but they're still landfilling and they're still exporting waste. So have they acted too early? I think so. I think they're running scared of the so-called environmentalists, which I am an environmentalist, by the way. I just believe in doing it in a different way, applying my engineering 
skills, not just my emotional intelligence to things. In Scotland, there's still an opportunity to do things better, to divert more waste away from landfill. Maybe they're exporting a lot of it to England or overseas, and that's sort of disguising the size of the problem. So we're active in Scotland, but only locally in the Dundee area. We're not really looking elsewhere, I have to say. And others are clearly are building new facilities. There will, of course, come a point when Scotland has enough. And I don't know when that is going to be. So will England. There will come a time, just like Germany has got to that point. You know, we're a German company, a German-owned company, and they've got to the point where no new energy from waste plants have been built for a long, long time. They might replace the odd one from time to time, and that will start to happen in England too. There'll be the older fleet will need to be repowered. Edmonton's a case in point. There will be still some residual effort required to keep the fleet working. I can't really speak about Wales because we're not active there. But in Scotland, they may have peaked early in terms of that. But I think everything's negotiable with, with everybody. Never say never. Yeah, <laughs> talking about negotiable. They pushed back their landfill ban once. Do you think they'll push it back again? I'm going to use a German phrase here. I say, keine Ahnung. No idea. <laughs> It's driven by politics as much as anything else, and it's really difficult to gauge. And, you know, these days we live in interesting times. I wouldn't want to try and guess that one. You work for a German-owned company that focus on the UK, so you must have had a lot of issues with Brexit. Is the worst to come, or are there better times ahead now? Personally, I didn't want to leave the EU, and we as a company didn't want it either. But it's happened, and we have to live with what we've got. Supply of skilled labour is an issue. I think that's across not just our industry, but the country as a whole. And how we fill that gap with either training our own people, which we're trying to do a bit for ourselves. Our apprenticeship numbers have gone up in the last few years. As a country, we need to skill our younger people. Demographically, there are less younger people and more old people like me who will be wanting one day to retire. And you know, we've got a, got a demographically driven problem coming ahead and immigration, big topic as we speak, is a way of looking at that. And it doesn't help when you then say, we're not going to let anyone in. We do need to have targeted immigration to fill those gaps that we won't be able to fill with our young people. I don't think Brexit is the problem anymore. Maybe it's a secondary irritation. The bigger problem is demographics and skill and training and the like. Even if we had remained in the EU, we would still have that problem. Because the same problem exists for other countries. We're not the only one with this time bomb. Germany is in a similar position as well. I can't say for every EU country, but if we'd remained in the EU, we might have been able to solve or soften the blow a little bit by pulling in people from Poland and Romania or wherever. But we have the occasional irritation of something being stuck in the customs. The most recently, when we had our opening ceremony for our facility here in Dundee, all the big MVV branded flags that we'd ordered were stuck in customs and we didn't have them on our opening ceremony. That was a real downer. <laughs> Just to put it into perspective. Yeah. Personally, I agree with you on Brexit. Yeah, we've just got to get on with it. It, it is interesting, though. Do you think maybe the government, I mean, it's tried with apprenticeship schemes, and obviously you're investing in that. Does more need to be done to train more people? Yes, uh, but we've also got to motivate young people. So there's lots of young people coming through the school system, and I'm of the old school brigade that did O-levels and A-levels, and I'm pretty convinced that the standard of education these days is not as good as it was. Uh, it was always better in our day. 
Yes, exactly. When I was young, you could still educate people if they're prepared to be educated. That means keeping them in education for longer, giving them more encouragement to acquire the skills that we need. We spend a lot of time as MVV. We've had two facilities in Dundee and uh, Plymouth. We have full-time community liaison managers that work with our local authority partners, and we do a lot of work towards encouraging an education around STEM especially because those are the sorts of skills that we need, and they're the same skills that half the UK needs, and we perhaps are not doing enough still to get young people motivated towards those technical skills. The route that they might follow doesn't have to be what I did, which is, you know, A-levels, degree and, and so forth, and become a chartered engineer. You can still do apprenticeships. You can still do lots of other vocational qualifications. And we're trying to do that. We've created quite a few apprentice positions in our three facilities now, and we'll continue to do that. Is it that the waste industry is perhaps not the most attractive one? People often ask me what I do, and I'll tell them I'm a dustman. And they look at me with such a frown, you know, ooh. But it actually, being in the waste industry, is a, it's a highly, especially our sector, is a highly technical. But even if you're running a fleet of RCVs, you still, there's still a lot of management in there. It's, it's not just about technical skills from a, a spanners and nuts and bolts type. It's technical skills from a managerial point of view. And there's a lot of management involved in the waste industry. So whilst it may not be looking the most attractive, it's got a lot to offer for those who want to come into it. You're not a dustman at all. You're a waste management specialist. You're an environmentalist. It's a good industry to be in. Refuse and resources. Exactly. We're getting towards the end, but if we could talk about waste treatment capacity gap or lack of one. On one hand, you've got UK Wind saying there's too much pipeline capacity. On the other, you've got businesses saying that some of that capacity won't be developed. But who's right? Not UK Wind. There is a lot of capacity that has been consented. And to some extent, that's the easy bit of developing a project. You've got to go through the right process. But if you get planning permission, it really depends on what you've actually got planning permission for. And with all due respect to the development world, there's some systems that work and there are some systems that don't. So if your planning consent ties you to a gasification system, it's not going to work. That's my personal view. And a lot of people have lost a lot of money trying to get projects like that working. And the finance markets have become aware of that now. And they won't put their money into those sorts of projects. So there's lots of projects that are dormant zombie projects, if you like, that will not go ahead. And I'm confident, I'm not going to name them because it would be unfair to do that. But there are sites that have got consent and they've been dragging on for a long time and for a number of reasons won't get consent. Even some projects where they don't have that technical constraint they may have locked themselves into some other deal that they can't get out of and commercially they won't get the finance. We're lucky in that we don't have to go to the project finance world for our money, not literally, but I kind of call up the bank of mum and dad in Mannheim and say, could you lend us 350 million, please? And we might get it. It's not as easy as that, I want to stress. (laughs) But if you're a small developer and you're touting a project around and you're trying to get people to come in and buy your project for a huge sum that you think it's worth, and then they've got to go and finance it against all sorts of other conditions. It's a real challenge. And so therefore, a lot of these sites will not be developed. Their permissions may be locked in because they might do a little bit of work to build the entrance gate or something like that. So that's a technical point. But commercially, they'll not last. And I don't think UK Win understand that bit. 
I have spoken to them. We're doing a podcast with them. Good. I'd like to hear that. We're moving towards the final question now, and I'm asking this on everyone who comes on The Burning Issue. What's the one question you wish I'd asked you, and how would you have answered it? Gosh, maybe what the hell do you do in your spare time? (laughs) I don't have any. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I live a busy, busy life through work and through things like the Owens Law campaign. One last plug for that. And other things, I'm trying to build a youth club in the hometown where I live in Cornwall. So we've set up a charity for that. So I'm a chairman of the board of trustees of a charity now. Various other things that I do for fun uh, means I don't have any time to watch telly or... And I think it's important, people talk about work-life balances and all that, to make sure you maintain that For me, it's a continuous process. There isn't a work-life binary situation. I try and do all of them at once. So I'll be doing a bit of Owen's Law stuff during the middle of the day when I'm at work, and I'll be doing a bit of work stuff in the middle of the night when I'm supposed to be asleep. (laughs) As long as, like you say, you're maintaining a healthy balance. I think that's the way everyone wants to go forward, isn't it? Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Luke, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Burning Issues guest this time was Paul Carey. It was written and presented by Luke Walsh and is produced by Zarina Dean. Thank you very much for listening. And if you want to learn more about energy recovery, go to site endswasteandbioenergy.com where you can sign up for free newsletters and maybe even take out a subscription if you want to. 